Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Carvery with Alex Store. Super excited to be back in the studio. I think it slowed down a little bit with the podcast because I've just had my two kind of biggest months speaking and I've been learning a lot on the road, really working with clients and working a lot around the core of the philosophy with reality-based leadership and a couple of our leadership training sessions around the No Ego book. And so those have been amazing. And while I've been out on the road, there's been amazing questions coming in those sessions and some really rich discussions and ideas that I now want to bring back to the podcast. And the one today is one that's been really building up as a great topic, but I just hadn't had time to really narrow it down for you guys. But the focus today is going to be on common mistakes of people that get excited about the philosophy when they first learn it. Common mistakes about where people go with the philosophy when they leave a session and they're like, you know, that really resonates and I'm ready to use this. And they kind of run out of our sessions and they haven't taken a moment to slow down and kind of practice the session a little bit for themselves and to get a few data points there or reference points, as I call them, where they can see how they've used one of the tools to help them ditch the drama before you run out and try and help your teams or really go on and kind of take on the biggest issues and challenges out there that you're currently experiencing. And so this podcast is all about now that you guys are excited, if you're a listener, maybe you found a couple of techniques that are really working for you, or you've seen some ideas that really, really resonate and you're ready to go use them. I wanted to take this episode to pause for a second and look at some of the common mistakes we see out there. And so what this will help you do is just bypass all of those as you get using the philosophy. And that's really, really exciting because it'll just streamline um, your effective leadership and the evolution of your leadership. And so, again, so many people after our sessions um, are very, very excited because for whatever reason, what they hear really reveals some truths about ways in which they've been leading that just haven't led to the results they're looking for. And so they see how through our stories and examples and tools, they could get some different results and it's much more effortless. And so naturally they seem excited to run out back into the world and into their teams and start to help people ditch the drama. But in saying that, I really want to take again this episode to caution you about ways in which people usually kind of over rotate and get into some um, additional challenges. And so you can be aware of those as you begin taking your first few steps to be more of a reality-based leader. And so we're going to go through about six of them today, and I think you'll find these very, very effective as you kind of head out in the world and try and navigate um, your next challenge as, as a leader or as someone just starting to practice this for yourselves. And so the first one I want to start with is this idea of oftentimes when people hear the philosophy, they hear some of the techniques, the competencies. They want to take that information that they learn and they kind of use it for evil. Now, let me explain what I mean here. Now, nobody out there I'm saying is absolutely evil, you know, in the workplace. But when they hear this stuff, they get really excited because as we're in these sessions that I'm conducting about personal accountability, sometimes the first thing I hear either during the session or right after is, oh my gosh, This was amazing stuff. I just wish that Tracy were here to hear this. If only Tracy were here, this would actually be an effective training. And basically what we're getting into there, I think you guys can catch it, is 
We just talked about stop judging, start helping. We just talked about how the the core of of personal accountability is like the holy grail. Like this will lead to to you being able to make an impact and you being able to change your behavior to then um, help alter kind of the approach of your team or those you work with. And the first thing everybody's minds defaults to is, oh, if just Tracy were here, oh, if just Ed sat in this one, why did, you know, Steve have to be sick today? And what really is happening here is we start to believe that we're the ones that now get it. We've seen this new truth and we already got it after this one four hour session or this one day long session. So now we get it oh, you're preaching to the choir, but no one else gets it, or especially Tracy doesn't get it. And so that's kind of the next evolution that we have to look to overcome when we start to learn and practice reality-based leadership is you hear the concepts, then you're like, oh yeah, now I get it. And no one else, everyone else is asleep to this thing. And so then we start to judge kind of the judgers. So we were just in judgment and really believe in a lot of our stories and really frustrated at some situations in the workplace prior to the session. Now, after one little session, we feel like we've overcome those things and we're now aware of them. And so now we're kind of the ones that are awake and everyone else is not. And so the next evolution is that all of a sudden we start judging the judges. And I even fell victim to this when I first learned reality-based leadership. And it is a common uh, mistake or just tendency with the philosophy. And so again, the moment you start judging the judges, now you guys are back into judgment. And now we are judging and not helping. And the mantra comes back that whenever we are judging, we're not helping, serving, leading, or adding value. But you'll see that this constant interruption of our judgment is something we got to keep an eye on because you think you get stop judging, start helping. And then there's a next kind of development of it where you have to, again, get in tune with that. And so that's really the next evolution of the ego. Because what happens is, especially if we're a high accountable, and now you guys know through one of the other podcasts, or if you go down, you'll see the one about accountability. If you're a high accountable, the next thing that high accountables often do with the philosophy is we get righteous and then we start kind of judging the judges. And so that's something we definitely need to, to watch out for because that's a whole new form of emotional expensiveness. So this is, again, a great reminder with number one here, not to use the philosophy for evil and remember that mantra of stop judging and start helping. This kind of leads to what I'm calling 1A or I guess it could be number two. Once we start using the philosophy for evil, if we do that, another thing that tends to happen is we take a technique that really resonated with us. And while we're really sitting in the session, I see people just thinking about how they can use this with their most unwilling people. Like they think of their toughest candidate, their person that needs probably the most coaching that they've had maybe years of frustration with and nothing's been able to get them to budge, so to speak. And they want to take one of our techniques and go use it on them like the next day. That is what we call trying to work with the unwilling. And we often joke that these type of people that have been like in 15 years of a chronic state of unwillingness, they're really frustrated at the world. They're always thinking the organization's out to get them. Our philosophy isn't actually designed to probably work on some of those people. This is like your lower, you know, 1%, 5% that are just in a chronic state of resistance and very, very frustrated at all times. We joke that these people don't need your coaching. They might just need counseling. And, you know, when we think about 
trying to spend all of our time and energy on them, working with the unwilling, you really start to neglect your willing that could actually be really activated by the philosophy and by your coaching. Um, because our philosophy activates the 80% of your teams that are you know, capable or living in a high state of accountability. When you've learned the philosophy, notice if your mind said, let's go work with the toughest candidate. Because what often happens is people try that. It doesn't work that first time because this person's completely unwilling. And then they don't try and use any of the great um, mental processes on anybody else on their team that it would actually work for. And it negates the whole philosophy. And so one of our best pieces of advice is to just take one tool or one coaching question and work with someone that is open to coaching. They're one of your, you know, who, who you would read now as a high accountable and they just kind of fall off the bus a little bit at one time. They're maybe frustrated about one thing that's happened. They've maybe gotten into venting and they're usually not there. Use one of these techniques in one of those moments and see if we can get that that good experience of really um, changing a mindset or revealing reality so they can approach it differently. And so that's the best place to go for those reference points. So you can't work with the unwilling is kind of number two. Number three here kind of goes with number two, but it's the idea that when we present these concepts that we've seen work with, you know, many, many organizations across all industries, and it really reveals some truths to people. The concepts most people see could work on 90% of those that they interact with. They would be really effective in helping people move beyond their obstacles with 90% of the people. But what happens is our ego, which is the judger of all things, the creator of all stories, it's really an enormous source of drama in our own minds and workplace. Our ego will try to talk us out of giving anything a try. Because what it does is it takes our concepts and it's like, ah, you know, I could see where that works. But you don't know about Ed. And what our mind does is it takes a concept that would work for 95% of the people and it quickly thinks about the 1% to 5% of people that it would never work with. Again, the most unwilling. And it uses that example in the training often, plays out you using that coaching question with the toughest candidate and they create a story and envision how that's going to go down. And they're like, that's not going to work. And so they take that toughest candidate, play out the worst possible example that would happen with them, and then reinforce the belief that that would never work. And when we're in that mindset in a training, when you're, again, thinking about the worst candidate, you're constantly negating any technique that could work for the 95% of, of the other team members. And so our ego really tries to take what we can't change on the macro, and confuse it for not being able to have impact on the micro. And so we think this technique couldn't alter really the culture really quickly. So why would we try and use one of these tools on the micro with one person? Because that just wouldn't have that much impact. But what we have to keep in mind always is the true change happens in these daily interactions with individuals. And if we have enough of those daily interactions, we start to change climates. And if we change enough climates a positive type of global warming happens and the whole culture changes. And so watch where our ego tries to negate something that would work for most of the people and say that it won't work with one person in one situation. And so it stops us from even giving it a try. That's a super common thing um, we see after some of our concepts are introduced. 
the next kind of mistake, so to speak, that's super common is, is people confuse high performers for high accountables. And this takes a little bit of breaking down, but while it's very common to see that a high accountable, someone that lives in a, in a mindset of high accountability in most times, usually leads to high performance, there is a bit of a difference between performance and high accountability because sometimes we have very high performers on our teams. Maybe they're highly technical and they really know a specific skill set or they have a lot of of expertise that um, from many years of experience in the industry, but they aren't necessarily high in accountability. And again, accountability has those those four factors. It's really a mindset that results happen because of our actions, not in spite of them. And the four factors are they they buy in early and often and they don't put conditions on their buy-in. And then once they're all in and they say yes to the organization early and often, then they have high resilience. And resilience isn't that they stay persistent and, and solve everything themselves and muscle through it and save the day at the end of the day with a diving catch. They actually have a large network that they crowdsource to and they're really connected and they ask for help early and often for their one best tip to overcome obstacles. And then at the ownership piece, Once they do that, they're very conversational about ownership and they can easily talk about what they did that helped or hindered. And they use a lot of like I statements like I chose, I assumed, I didn't follow up with, I chose not to check in with. And those factors aren't always attributed to someone that is a high performer. Sometimes a high performer that oftentimes saves the day for us or jumps in for a diving catch While that's great in the moment, it is tough to sustain that and it adds a lot of drama into the equation. And so so an example in our training is that we say that differentiation is very important because in the workplace, the same behavior or leadership won't please a high accountable and a low accountable at the same time. So we're always going to be kind of upsetting someone in our leadership, and it's our job to differentiate for the right reasons and be upsetting the right people. And when people hear that, that it won't please a high accountable and low accountable at the same time, they jump right into a high performer, low performer at the same time. And that is very different because what we found is that in today's reality, it's almost always the case that we would take someone that is an even an average performer that is really high in accountability and low in drama because if we just look at performance maybe you have a very high performer that always you know hits their numbers or they are always kind of jumping in to save the day or in the last minute they had withheld information, but they're like, oh, let me fix this, and they come in. But whenever you try to either modernize why we keep having to have these diving catches, or you try and change a process, or you try and you know, respond to the market and move to a new skill set that everyone needs, they're the first to in the meeting resist all of that. So they're high performer, but they're resistant to change. Or they're a high performer, but they don't buy in until you've upped the ante so much that it's a juicy enough opportunity for them to finally say yes. And so that's where we see that's low in accountability and it causes a lot of emotional expensiveness. And so then the high performer, actually, if you look at all of their total value, which is minus their emotional expensiveness, they're actually not all that valuable when you compare them to even an average performer who could learn very quickly different things 
and they're very low in drama and very aligned to the organization and not resistant to change. It starts to even out because a high accountable will know that they can learn almost anything quickly. And so that's something to think about is, are you focused on just your high performers or have you modernized your approach to let's look at accountability levels based on those four factors and maybe there is more value coming from our even average performers at the moment that are very low in drama and high in accountability. Maybe teaming them up could have more breakthroughs than a team of all high performers that are low in accountability. Something to think about that we often see. Number four is a pretty simple one, and it's that people get excited about the ways in which they can go help others ditch the drama, but they don't consider how they could first start with ditching their own drama. And this is one that even to today, I still am working on myself in my own journey because What number four is, is people forget to try reality-based leadership on for size for themselves first. We often talk about when you guys are on a flight, you might have heard that announcement that before assisting others, put your mask on first. And we say that in our trainings that even if we're working with leaders about reality-based leadership and how to coach your teams around this, most people we hope and assume catch that This starts with, dang, a self-reflection moment on am I causing some of this drama? And so that is a big key that we need to look at is, you know, if I think people are consistently getting into stories that aren't true in the workplace, they're, they're venting a lot about things that never even happened, I should look and see and write down what stories I'm believing that are causing my stress. And that would be one of our edit your story tools where before I go and help someone else get out of the stories they're believing that are causing their stress, why don't I take a moment to write down the story I'm believing about the new change in our workplace and cross out anything I don't know to be true, things I made up, things that could never happen, things I can't be sure that have happened, and let me get down to the reality, which might be, for example, we have a new software coming. It will be implemented in January 2019. That's the reality. But what I had in my head as a leader was, oh, it's going to be a disaster and people are going to resist and we're going to have all these bugs in the software and it's never going to work and there'll be another one coming later. When I'm in that drama myself, in my head, I can't really be in a great place to help others go beyond the drama. And so it usually starts with me putting my mask on first and trying out one of the tools for myself so I can come in as a clear, neutral leader to add value to those that I'm leading. Another quick example uh, of a common mistake we see out there. One of the last ones I wrote down here is that when we present to make the point clear, come out in kind of a, a way that's very loving, but it can sound black or white. Like one example is, when we talk about buy-in, we believe that buy-in's not optional. Like if the organization's made a decision and it's based on, you know, what the market needs or what your customer needs, and I have let the team know about the decision or me as a leader, I've heard the decision and 
it's clear enough. I have enough detail to know that that's what we need to do to respond to our our customers. At this point, buy-in's really not optional. What we need to do is sign up and think about ways in which we could make this happen. And so one example we give in the sessions is that there's no third option when it comes to buy-in. And so let's say you roll out a strategy and someone comes up after and they're like, you know what? I don't know if I'm comfortable with the strategy. I don't like it. I don't think it's a good idea. We encourage leaders to say, well, what's your plan to get on board with the strategy? It's not illegal, not immoral. It's, it's, it's where the organization's decided to go. We need you on board to make this happen with us. You know, eight other team members of yours are on board. You're the one not on board. You know, what's, what's going on here? Why, why aren't you on board? Well, I don't just, I don't like it. Well, what, what risks do you see that we could mitigate? You have a lot of expertise. Let's use that to mitigate any concerns you have. You know what? I just don't even want to think about them. I can't think about the risks. Okay, so you're not going to get on board. Well, then what's your plan to transition off our team for this project? Well, I'm not going anywhere. I love being on this team. Okay, perfect. That's awesome. We could definitely use your expertise. What's your plan to get on board? Well, I'm not going anywhere. Okay, well, then what's your plan to transition to a place where you do want to get on board? Well, I'm not going anywhere. And we encourage leaders to say, oh, you think there's this third option to stay in hate, to stay in sabotage, to believe that buy-in's optional, to stay and consume resources. And see, there's really no third option. You either stay in joy or you leave in peace. But both should be peaceful and both are for your happiness and for the happiness in our organization. And so I'll help you be happy either way, but it's not going to be in the third option. And so when we give that technique to get, you know, buy-in or to reveal that buy-in's not optional, some people it really resonates with and some people are like, oh, wait a minute. This sounds like a great tool to just start basically axing people and saying, you enter you out. And are you, you going to be on board or not? Or if you're not, get out of here. And they get what we call really black or white. It's like, are you, you know, there's no nuance in the philosophy. And so they start to take the philosophy and they think of it as an easy way out of really being a effective leader. And that's a common mistake we see that if someone, for example, is into their story and they're venting, someone's like, well, oh, stop venting. Venting's not helpful. Well, that's not the technique we taught. We did say that venting's not helpful, but we gave you a tool to help them sort through their venting that you can use to assist them that eventually becomes a mental process called the edit your story. So they take the easiest way out with the philosophy instead of understanding the concept and then using kind of their time and love to use one of the tools to help ease their way into people understanding these concepts. And so if you guys have heard, whether it's through that example I gave about buying's not optional or what we've talked about in some of the past podcasts about you know, venting actually isn't helpful. It actually is is something we should eliminate. Remember that it's not black or white. There are times in which um, we'll screw this up and people will get into some of these things of drama and we won't catch it right away. But again, you'll screw this up, but only daily, but there's multiple opportunities. That's what's so nice about reality-based leadership is you're always learning and there's an opportunity coming right around the corner if you missed it. The last one to finish with is our big time fans. And the last one I would like to talk about, or the last one I've noticed is that people that really fall in love with this philosophy, they can sometimes be frustrated when others 
don't buy into reality-based leadership right away. They're like, you know, it just makes so much sense to me and they just don't get it. And again, you can feel the judgment there. But what I like to remind them of is that reality-based leadership is not the end-all philosophy. It's not the only way to approach life to be successful and happy. We have found that for many, it is a great foundation. It's a neutral foundation. It's got actionable advice and tools to help others change their energy to get back on track. But it's just one data point in the crowdsource of all of the great ideas out there that we can use. And we don't even recommend that some people just use our philosophy. We want to be looking for new ways in which to build on the philosophy. And so the last thing I'd leave you with is if you are a huge fan of reality-based leadership, it doesn't have to stop there. And don't get frustrated if others have kind of their own philosophy. Look for the and out there about how this and this works and just how you can constantly be that open teacher if someone is still struggling with something and haven't found a way out. Know that reality-based leadership and your invitation of it can be a great place for them to go to finally find some relief. And so that, you guys, are some of the common mistakes we see with the philosophy once leaders are excited about it after the training sessions or the keynotes that I do out there. If you guys have fallen kind of victim to some of those, no worries at all. I screw this up, but only daily. In fact, it was it was funny. As I was going through them, I'm like, dang, I need to check in on like that one because that's the thing about our human condition that you guys are starting to learn is that once we get it, there's these new challenges and we kind of forget it. And so that's why it's a philosophy. It's a mantra. It's a daily practice. And I hope you guys keep rolling with me on this journey of trying to just return back to that center more often. Thank you guys so, so much for listening and for sharing this podcast with your friends. If you found it helpful, I know people have been bringing in others to to listen and discuss, and I've loved it. I've gotten so many cool messages and other ideas to talk about on social. And so please keep sending those over. It's at Alex M. Door on Twitter, Instagram, all of those things. I hope you guys are all doing super, super well. And I hope you're out there still working to ditch your own drama and then help others just find a little bit of more clarity out there. Please keep that up. We're trying to build this tribe of reality-based leaders to, to really ditch the drama in the world. Have a great week, and I'll see you guys next time on The Carvery, where we're all about understanding that success, happiness, innovation, collaboration, basically everything we're working towards is our natural state once the drama's gone. So quit trying to add things in. Let's keep carving the drama away. And I promise your goals will really become something that you start to realize. I'll see you next time. As always, you guys know the deal. Let's keep ditching the drama. Better.